Hello and welcome to the That's Afterlife podcast with DM Esther Anson and Adrian Mills. So here we are with a podcast, that's Afterlife, and I'm very happy to say, Aidy, that we've got a guest whom I've known since I was a little fat brunette researcher in a satire program called The Late Show, and he's Barry Humphreys, the the amazing creator of Dame Edna, Everidge, and so many other characters. We love Barry Humphreys. I know, I know. He's so naughty. He is so naughty. Anyway, he's going to join us later. Well, that'll be fun. So how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Esther. Thank you very much indeed. How about you? Well, I'm surviving. The boiler went. The moment there's a cold snap, the boiler went and um, a plumber arrived. I'm going to talk quietly because I think he's still in the building. Now, look, I don't know about your plumber. He's six foot five. He's about 22 and he's a Greek god. But I didn't expect a plumber to be quite so gorgeous. Well, especially as the uh, boiler repair was only supposed to take an hour and he's been trapped in your house for four days now. Lenny Marit Esther, come on. (laughs) How's your week? I've had a dreadful week, Esther, truly dreadful. We had our car stolen off our driveway. Middle of the night, 2.30, and two guys wandered onto the driveway and as the film says, gone in 60 seconds. How did they do it? What did they do? They have a little device which they come up to the side of your house, apparently, and they can scan to see if your keys are, say, in your kitchen, and they pick up the code. So then this little item, which you can buy on eBay for not very much money, then opens your car, and away they go. Well, if this were that's life, AD, we would be telling viewers how to protect yourself against that. And would you believe these little keyless contacts, I think they're called, have led to an absolute epidemic of car thefts at the moment. And you have to protect yourself. I've got one. I just thought it was convenient. I had no idea. But that's why the thieves were able to spirit your car away from your drive, AD. Mm. However, the good news is that um, Witch magazine have produced some tips so that anybody who's got this kind of key could go to our website, have a read. And there are things like putting a steering wheel lock on. And if you've got a garage, parking a car in the garage, making sure that your key is not by the front door, preferably get one of those cases that they produce, which surround the key with metal. But it's clearly worthwhile because it appears to be all the rage and cars are disappearing from people's drives all over the country. But what a horrible experience for you, A.D. I, I was a, a bit down. I don't mind admitting. And I'm sure lots of our listeners will have had experiences of uh, car crime or know somebody. So I thought, what am I going to do to cheer myself up? Mm-hmm. So do you know what I did? I flicked through some YouTube videos and yes. I came across this morning and Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby in absolute hysterics because they were showing some rude vegetables. They had a carrot with a little bit too much hair on it as uh, in the female anatomy area um, and uh, a a parsnip with uh, an appendage they thought it was the funniest thing they had ever seen it was almost like they'd discovered the rude vegetable in a way if what you say is true they did because in all the years of our rude vegetables parsnips carrots I never came across a female vegetable with fluffy bits it was all gentleman vegetables (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you something. There was a long period of time in which these vegetables were incredibly repressed and inhibited. 
And this is the only time I'm going to sound like a Brexiteer because the EU wouldn't let anyone sell a naughty veg. It had to be straightforward, straight. Standard. Standard, no protuberances. Were you on that side with Ron Neal when he was the editor? No, no, a little before my time, that one. I remember he banned the rude vegetables. He said, we've had enough rude vegetables. We're not having any more rude vegetables. And someone sent in an irresistible tomato. So he said, we can't have it. And I said, why not? And he said, it's a penis. He's Scottish. I said, Ron, it's a tomato. He said, don't be ridiculous, Esther. It's a penis. I said, no, it's a tomato that thinks it's a cucumber. <laughs> so the moment came and we showed the audience the tomato thinking it was the cucumber and they roared with laughter. And I have a feeling Ron may have been right. <laughs> I did once see a, a spoof That's Life episode. Could well have been something like Pamela Stevenson or something like that, uh, playing a good self. And uh, she said, this week we've heard from Mildred in Scotland. She has sent us her husband's penis because it looks like a vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> There's a big sign come up on my screen that said they found three viruses. What, at your house? So it seems on my on my laptop. Oh, I've, I've told you about what you've been watching, Esther. <laughs> ah! Esther, just out of interest here, you know we're getting lots of uh, emails, and if people want to contact us, they can at uh, hello at thatsafterlife.com. I've got a, a terrific one here. <laughs> Dear Esther, I just wanted to ask if I could get a signed photo as I recently saw one of your photographs on eBay and it was selling for $29.99 and I thought I might be able to make a quick buck. $29.99? $29.99. Lord, I'm going to have to look and see if I've got some photographs so at that rate. It's, it's worth it. Yes, of course. If you can find the name and address of that person, I will happily send them a signed photograph. The most lucrative set of photos I had ever had taken one birthday I think it was my 50th it was a beautiful sunny June day and um, I grabbed a, a large chiffon hat ran downstairs took off everything and pranced around the garden wearing nothing and my late husband came down to see what I was up to he was so horrified he started to get quite cross with me until the neighbor's children joined us and they began to giggle so he got his camera and he took pictures i have those pictures and i was telling that story to somebody who worked for the daily mail and they said can we have the pictures and i said how much guess what they said go on two thousand pounds two thousand pounds i said not enough Did you say it goes to show nudity pays not enough are you a nudist then, Esther? This is the uh, burning question. Yeah, well, I, I, yes, my mother was and I am, but we don't, uh, uh, we do it on celebratory occasions like birthdays, not at Christmas. Or the launch of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so pleased to say Barry Humphreys has now joined us. Barry, how lovely to see you, the famous the one the only barry humphreys it is so great to see you how are you esther it seems like the other day that i saw you but 
Have you a rough idea how many decades have passed? Was it 1966? Oh, it might have been as recently as that. Two people since those days have received a damehood. And one of them is Edna and the other one is Esther. But Edna, Edna was quite meek. She used to come on the stage and say, excuse I, do you remember that? I always thought you said that so well, Esther, <laughs> that you were the perfect understudy. And I thought if ever I'm sick and can't go on stage, I would call upon Esther Ranson, <laughs> whose powers of persuasion were such that she got me to appear one evening in North London at a Jewish event. I did. And where I, in fact, I think, having had too much to drink, fell over on stage. Are there any secrets you can share with me about Esther from those days that probably nobody knows? No, Esther was impressive. Was I? From early on, she was intelligent, humorous, discreet, and persuasive. She had the magic touch. And of all of us, she was the one who was going places. I was a researcher, wasn't I? Well, that was what you were described as, but you did practically everything on that show. Barry, tell me if this is true. I remember a panic-stricken... Who was Princess Margaret's husband, Lord... Snowden. Him. Anthony Armstrong Jones. Yes, he was in a Kensington restaurant, unable to get out because you um, had... I believe mooned was, um, was a technical term. I'll tell you the true story, Esther. And we are being listened to, aren't we, by millions. Millions. Go on. The show we were doing was called The Late Show. Now, the composer on our show was Stanley Myers. And we went to dinner at a very smart hotel restaurant in Holland Park. Go on. And because it was the evening... And because I was given to habits of intemperance. You used to drink creme de menthe by the pint. Yes, but that was because I'd been in the restaurant earlier and got him to colour some water with green dye. No. And so I would order a pint of creme de menthe and, and scull it down to everyone's amazement. <laughs> but Stanley and I were in this restaurant yeah. And I had, if I had taken a few too many drinks, I was able, by a wriggle of the hips, to release the waistband of my trousers so that they fell in a sort of unseemly concertina around my ankles. You frightened him witless. Uh, <laughs> waiters were bowing and scraping. And I said, watch this, Stanley. And I got up and walked towards the gents. And as I did so... A disaster occurred. Trousers descended uh, very abruptly, revealing, needless to say, some quite nice un underpants, but it was an event that hadn't occurred in that restaurant before. And after I returned to the table, Stan and I were convulsed with laughter. Yes. The head waiter came over and said, excuse me, sir, I, I must ask you to leave the restaurant. Lord Snowden is not amused. Rather like... Princess Margaret's grandmother was not amused. Indeed. Well, I went out of the restaurant, exiled. Stanley and I, Stanley came with me, which was very nice of him. And we found that we'd been locked out of the restaurant. 
door on Addison Road, Holland Park, was locked. So we went to a phone booth. I said, Stanley, I have to make a call. So I called the restaurant and I put a voice that I imagined Tony Snowden's mother might have sounded like. And I said, could I speak to please to Lord Snowden? Oh, certainly, madam. So who, who, who is it calling? And it's his mother. And then he came on the phone and I said, Tony, that lovely man as Barry Humphreys is shivering in the street. How dare you? He's one of my favorite comedians. Please let him in immediately. And, and Snowden saying, yes, mummy, but who is this? Who is this? And I said, it's me, your mother, and I'm very hurt. And he said, who is this? Who is this? As he was saying, who is this? As I slowly replaced the receiver. <laughs> but not readmitted, and many, many years later, yes, he was taking my photograph for the Sunday Times. Yes. And I thought, what's he going to say? Does he remember? <laughs> and, and he was terribly friendly, and we had a few laughs, and then he said, well, that went very well, Barry. Why don't we have lunch? And I said, well... Yes, that's a good idea. Where will we have lunch? And he said, I know a very nice little restaurant in Holland Park. I don't think you've been there for some time. <laughs> he remembered. Well, yes, I mean, he was traumatised. That's the story I was told, that he was absolutely traumatised. And I ask you if this is true. I came to your theatre show. Edna stood me in the audience and said, this little Esther, looking lovely, must be the lighting. <laughs> What I wanted to know is, when I went to your theatre show, your manager greeted us rather nicely, me and my husband, and told me the following tale. In that show, Edna used to get into some hydraulic lift, which took her miles up to the ceiling of oh, this. Oh, yes, she was very brave. To shout at the upper circle, the little impoverished ones at the top. And I was saying to this manager or someone important, God, that takes some courage. And he said, well, you see, Barry can't do it because he's petrified of heights. But Edna hasn't a fear in the world. Do you think, Barry, that you have a touch of schizophrenia, sort of split personality? You know, sometimes if you are well and truly Im immersed in a role, a theatrical persona, you do things that as yourself are impossible. Yeah. And I am extremely nervous appearing on stage as myself. Ah. But no problem if I'm dressed up as some other person. Ah. And that I don't bother to analyze these puzzles. Yes. I don't, in life, I think it's much better to sort of, well, if you can do it, do it, you know. Were those dresses comfortable? No, not really. Oh. I haven't looked at them lately, but I've got quite a lot. And we hope, I want to try and get an exhibition at the V&A. I think so. I mean, after all, if Vivian Westwood would ha can have one. If Princess Di can have one. Oh, exactly. Are there, in your opinion, any similarities between Dame Esther Ranson and Dame Edna? None whatever except Edna thinks she might be Jewish. She's had, she's, 
she's sneezed into an envelope and sent it off and is hoping, hoping that she might well be a Red Sea pedestrian. Why Edna thinks she's Jewish, and I think this will entertain Esther, is that when she was five, she could make a manicure appointment and, and she could play canasta at a very early age. <laughs> I've watched a lot of the clips in the last couple of days, knowing you're going to be on this podcast. But are you ever intimidated, either in character or out, by any guest? No, not really. Um, it's a long time since I've done those talk shows, which were meant originally in the late 1980s to be parodies of real talk shows. I used to see guests coming on, and they would often have to come down a staircase, or there was a sort of journey to the host. Yeah. And I thought, what would happen if the host looked at the guest from afar and thought, <laughs> do I really want to talk to this person? Do I really like this person? <laughs> the answer is negative. Wouldn't it be wonderful if they could press a button and the guest would abort, would disappear? Uh, of course, I had chairs, too, that did this, and this has been flagrantly plagiarised by Graham Norton, who owes me a fortune. He's never apologised for this <laughs> larceny. Not a single royalty do I get for that, that device. But my fans, who must be watching by now, or have been told to watch, will suitably rebuke him in the post. But Esther, they were funny days we had. Oh, yes. And you never had such power in that room because you were the only sober person on the phone. <laughs> and also, there was a gleam in your eye. You had your sights head set on higher things, I think, which, of course, you have achieved magnificently. And I couldn't be happier about your elevation, but it's not Baroness yet. Well, I'll tell you this, people sometimes say to me, Esther, what effect has it had on your life being made a dame? And I always say, it has transformed my life. Because now, not a day goes by without someone saying, how lovely to meet you, Dame Edna. <laughs> I have been introduced as Dame Edna on the radio, television, and it worries me a little because if you'd sue Graham Norton for plagiarism, you'd sue me for identity fraud. Well, no one has called me Dame Esther, I'm happy to say. <laughs> what do you mean you're happy to say? You mean thing. <laughs> One of the things that you performed, the services that you performed uh, working in that office as the only sober member of the company, was that if I saw a book reviewed, yes. I would say, Esther, there's a book that I think we need to research. <laughs> we might have to research this book. And you would say, but it has nothing to do with anything. How can you make, you? I said, I assure you, you wait and see, Esther. So at the expense, vast expense of the BBC, and you might have your damehood snatched away when they hear this, you would get me the book. And downstairs in my library are still some little books with notes from Esther Ranson in them, <laughs> saying, here it is. I don't know how we're going to justify this, was one of the notes. Well, I'll tell you how we justify it, because 
we ask great stars like your good self, Mr. Humphreys, to pick a charity that they really care about and, and value and talk to us a little bit about it. And you've picked one to do with books and children. Tell us about it. Yes, well, this is a very important one because, you see, children don't have stopped reading books. My grandchildren love books, luckily. They like holding them. They like them as things, as well as things to read. And I'm a bit like that too, because I've got a library of 50,000 books downstairs. But um, so this really is, is a charity to encourage children to read and to give books. What's the charity called? The charity that I think we should all support is Read for Good. So the charity motivates children to read for fun because we know that loving reading changes lives. We have a regular supply of beautiful brand new books, visits from professional storytellers, offer children in hospital the chance to escape to other worlds in their imagination. And children in schools are motivated to read using our free readathon kits which encourage them to choose whatever they like to read, from comics to classics, audiobooks to blogs. And you actually donate some of your own books to Read for Good. A large number of them. And uh, I'm also, uh, I've also been along and read books to these kids. Why is it so important for kids to learn to love books? Because they are so bound up now with electronic entertainment. Yeah. That they're missing one of the great joys of life. And it's very good when you read a story to a child, they always want it again. They want to hear it again and again. And they remember what's happening. So you can stop in the middle of a story and say, what comes next? And they'll recite it to you. These are all very good. And I think too, children remembering poetry. In the books that you give us as a result of this podcast, you will, I hope, send books of poetry as well, because we had to learn poetry by heart in the old days. And now I can still recite The High Woman. I'm not doing it for you now. <laughs> but of course, it's one of the pleasures in my life, and I want everyone to enjoy it as well. I quite agree with you. And for children who are locked in unhappy homes, in a ha unhappy lives, it's a real escape, isn't it? It's, it's, a to it's a window onto, onto something joyful. So it's worth knowing about this charity. I think many people will not have heard of it. I hadn't heard of it until you told us about it. Read for good. That, that is excellent. Thank you. Can I ask you a question, Barry? I heard a story about your mum giving away some books when you were little. It traumatised me, Esther. Go on. Now, I came home from school. And my bookshelves were empty. And I said to my mother, where are my books? And she said, oh, I gave them to a nice man from the Salvation Army. Right. And I said, but they're my books, I said. And she said, no, Barry, you've read them. So that was the germ of my bibliomania. I have now, I remembered each single book and I've replaced them all. I found the right edition, most of them published in the 1930s and early 1940s. And the whole shelf that my mother gave to the army has been restored. 
I get the feeling, Barry, that you don't like throwing things away. Hoarder. I think when your mother gave away your books when you were a little boy, she traumatised you. She did. And not only have you replaced all the books, but you really don't want to be separated from things that you get this real affection for. I'm like that, Esther. You, I think I've exposed myself too freely to Esther Ransom because a lot of people from the north of London are also amateur psychiatrists. And it's possible <laughs> Esther is affiliated with the Tavistock. <laughs> This is probably an impossible question to answer, but out of your 50,000 plus books, is there one that stands out that it would be your go-to book? Apart from my own books, of course. <laughs> They're thoroughly thumbed and dog-eared. Um, well, I have several favorites. Go on. I do look sometimes at my books that I had as a child because they contain images, as we all know, the mm. images that impressed us as children and we couldn't mm. quite understand, um, remain with us and explain a lot about our lives to us. But I like very much the poetry of the late 19th century and I collect ghost stories too. I've got a very, quite important collection of spooky st stories, but I would go, well, one of the books that I love is by um, Joseph Roth, and it's called The Radetzky March. Oh. And Radetzky March is in every man's library. Right. But it's, it's a masterpiece. It's one of the great books of all time. And also Thomas Mann's Death in Venice, which I have inscribed by Thomas Mann. Not to me, alas, but... <laughs> It's a great story. It's a love story. Uh, and it is about an old writer who has a sort of breakdown in Venice. Now, when I came to Aust from Australia in the year 1959, before you were born, Esther. Absolutely. She lied. I to London. Uh, and I came on an Italian boat. And the boat stopped at Venice. Now, coming from Melbourne, to arrive at night in that most beautiful of all cities was one of the most moving experiences of my life. And so Venice means a lot to me, and I have many, many books about the city of canals. And Death in Venice, though it is a, a sad story. It's a compulsive story. It's a love story. And I do quite like reading love stories. I think to myself, I might write another book. I might write a love story. But um, it's, I, I, I'm not sure I'm so good at it, you know? My I think you are. I think you are. I think you are. Well, I, I don't think you should write the love story of Edna Everidge and how she met her husband. I don't, that doesn't I've appeal to me. I've done that. I'm not doing that again. No, I don't think you should do that. I don't think you should even tell the love story of her rather, rather sad son, or is he a happy son? He's very happy. <laughs> very happy. Well, that's good. I think you should tell the story of a little young brunette researcher who sat behind her typewriter 
and found Eleanor Bronze knitting and fell in love with this extraordinary star who could do everything, who collected glass, who understood art, who frightened the aristocracy, who was lost in awe, and they were separated for years and years and years, and then they met again by the miracle of Zoom. Yes, and also protected by the miracle of Zoom from taking all their clothes off and falling into each other's arms. <laughs> I was just about to say to Barry that um, obviously the nature of this program, and by the way, fantastic word, uh, Read for Good, uh, just a terrific charity. Well done, you. Um, the name of this program is called That's Afterlife. Um, just wanted to know what you might be considering taking with you or hoping to find in the afterlife. Oh, well, amongst us all, I suppose I'm the one who's going to get there first. Um, and I think what I would take with me to the afterlife would be a return ticket. <laughs> I've still got a lot to do. I mean, I'd like to know what facilities are there. You know, are there beaches? You know, are there uh, water slides? Libraries, for that matter. Strip clubs. Um... <laughs> Do bear in mind that return ticket when you come back, you will have to go into quarantine. Oh, well, it's unfortunately, um, I'm not planning to go immediately. Please don't. But I once asked my mother what my first words were. And uh, my first words were, more please. More please. And you know, without being sentimental, I think they're going to be my last words as well. Hmm. As life, I've, I've had a number of quite serious setbacks in my life, but they're far outweighed by the joys that I've had and the people I've got to know. And above all, like Dame Esther, the joy of grandchildren, you know? And now I have 10 grandchildren, Esther. Wow, I've only got five. I had no idea what pleasure they could oh, give. Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. So listen, uh, Barry, whenever I meet you, I always want to say more, please, because you are such fantastic company. I cannot thank you enough for, for joining us. And thank you, Esther Ranson, for having me at your place. Well, darling Barry, thank you very much indeed. We all say more, please. We want more of you, more of Edna, more Barry Humphreys. Wasn't he a joy? Oh, he's, he's very special. I really did have the most enormous crush on him. I didn't think he noticed me. And he was way above me. I was just, you know, a researcher and there were all these major stars floating around. He was very glamorous, I thought, and with this wonderful invention of Dame Edna. No, I admired him then, I admire him still. We've just got time for a last email from Sarah in Nottingham. And uh, she asks, uh, dear Esther and Adrian, when you're out filming on the streets, what was the most disgusting thing you asked the public to taste? Ah, <laughs> yes, health and safety. I don't know if I'd be allowed to do it now. Those were quite dangerous times we lived in, particularly since when I was arrested, I was actually handing out bat stew. 
hang on, Esther, how on earth did you convince people to eat bat stew? Well, the answer is um, you... Um have a lid on your pot and they don't actually see what they're eating. But when I told them, I remember one lady said, you dirty monkey. <laughs> and he said, no, it's not. It's a bat. Well, it couldn't have been as bad as all that. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear, dear. Um, but what did it taste like? Do you really think I ate the stuff? Oh, you, you were happy to foist it onto everybody else then. I'm, I'm shocked, Esther. Yeah, I suppose I should feel guilty, but I don't. I was fined 15 quid, but that was for obstruction, not for poisoning people in the street. <laughs> so uh, sadly, that is the end of the podcast. And if you'd like to join us again, please do subscribe to the That's Afterlife podcast found on any of your favourite streaming platforms. And remember, we'll be uh, reading your letters each episode. So make sure you send your views to hello at that'safterlife.com. See you soon, Esther. See you soon, Adi. That's Afterlife is a Captive Minds production and is series produced by Ross Haley. The creator and executive producer is Liz Mills. (laughs) 